As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Greetings, salutations, and of course, hello to all of my listeners, my unlucky lounge rats. Welcome to all of you to a brand new episode of Draft and Draft, Friday Night Podcast Edition. My name is Corey, your limited lore master, denizen of this, the Unlucky Lounge, and joining me as always is the 2-2 that's always there for you on turn number two. But don't call him a ballerina, although he does come after two turns. His name is Borok, my bear friend. We are in the middle of Kamigawa Neon Dynasty spoiler season. Woo! (laughs) You know, you make a fair point. How are we going to do a Friday Night Podcast, a live draft episode this week with so many fun and exciting spoilers out there? Well, my friends, there is more things still on the Arena Client. The much-talked-about and much-aligned double feature has made it on Arena. To our surprise, we are going to be engaging in a combined draft set of Midnight Hunt plus Crimson Vow in a format that is... I'll get to those opinions in just a bit. But before we dive into our draft, a few bits of housekeeping and upkeeping. As always, this podcast is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. Check them out, BLEAV.com, or wherever you download your audio goodness. Keep your midday blues away with Believe. And this show is here because of all of you, my listeners. Thank you once more for tuning in. Time is the best gift that you could ever give somebody, and we are so grateful for it. And if you got a little bit more time, find us on our socials on Twitter, Twitch, and TikTok, Draft and Draft Corey. My Instagram, Corey Demone Enriquez. Take just a minute and a half to rate us on Spotify, on Apple Music. It really does help the word of the Unlucky Lounge spread. And if this show is truly giving you some joy, think about giving back on Patreon, patreon.com backslash draft and draft. It is our way of keeping the lights on here in the Unlucky Lounge. Well, that is all for the housekeeping and the upkeeping. The sorcerer's broom is put back into the conjurer's closet, and it's time for us to get to the meat of our FNP episode. But because we're in the middle of spoiler season, I think we should take a little bit of time at the top of the episode 
to talk about some of the exciting spoilers that we currently have and refer back to our previous episode, our, let's say, speculation episode where somebody puts on a silly accent and talks about the blogatog post. Yeah, Borak, you had a very strange accent. Um, Cory, wouldn't that be the pot calling the kettle black? I believe it was you who had quite the unintelligible accent, my unshelled friend. I have no idea what you're talking about. I spoke very clearly and very straightforward last episode. Suss me all you want, my fair Ursine friend, but that doesn't negate that we did solve some mysteries. So, what did we get right? What did we get wrong? Well, I'm fairly confident with the progression of the spoilers that we've had thus far that the uncharted, ungiven cycle will not be completed. What you gonna do, friends? Sometimes your dreams get shattered, but it's a pretty hard cycle to design, honestly. You could, of course, put in white enchantment tutors, just like Gifts did any card, and Realms Uncharted did lands, but that's a bit unoriginal, and maybe they can save that for, say, Commander products down the line. Also, the whole casting things from your graveyard as a mechanic, eh, not quite the soul-shifting paradigm shift from the original Kamigawa block. What you gonna do? But I do think that we got a few things right. So first, a little light got it wrong and got it right in the same vein. I talked about the cycles that were being reprinted. So we, of course, have the legendary dragon cycle, the mythic dragons. They're back, and they have two dice effects. Cool. I'm sure they'll be powerful enough to make a splash. They're just kind of stat monsters and effect monsters. They don't intrigue me all that much. Then I kind of said adjacent that maybe the flip cards, the old one side you turn the card vertically 180 degrees, those flip cards like Bushi Tenderfoot. I said that that might have been a cycle that got reprinted, but honestly, if I would have just taken a second and realized that truly wasn't a cycle. They were just a lot of cards that ended up being essentially the precursor to transform. But speaking of transform, in the same vein, we did see the transform mechanic come back. And that is on, I think, the thing that is really catching everyone's eye. And that is the sagas that transform into creatures on chapter three. Oh boy, am I excited for these cards. Take, for example, Tribute to Hirobi. One in a black, it's a rare enchantment saga. On chapters one and two, so when it enters the battlefield and after you draw, uh, you get to add a lore counter to it. Chapters one and two, each opponent creates a one one black rogue rat creature token, and then it transforms into Echo of Death's Wall, a 3-3 flying haste spirit creature that when it enters the battlefield, because when you transform these sagas, they have to exile and then come back, you gain control of all rat creatures, and then when it attacks, you can sacrifice another creature, and if you do, draw a card. 
boy, that is an exciting bit of text. And it's a lot of fun to think about. And there seem to be a few ways to manipulate Saga counters. Take, for example, a card that I think has a lot of potential to be not just fun, but also maybe good. It's a green instant in Kamigawa Neon Dynasty called Storyweave. Two and a green, it's an instant. You choose one of two options. Either A, put two counters on target creature you control, or B, put two lore counters on target saga you control. The next time one or more enchantment creatures enter the battlefield under your control this turn, each enters with two additional plus one, plus one counters on it. So you can go from chapter one to chapter three just with Storyweave and get a creature that has a pump as well. And you get all the effects along the way. What a unique way of green accelerating out a creature. And that acceleration is going to be key in a lot of matchups that use these enchantment sagas that turn into creatures. The way I kind of see the format playing out here, just at the initial look, is we're going to look at these sagas as high-value creatures, highly sought-after cards. But if we truly think about the play pattern of them, it's gonna either slow down the format a lot, or it's gonna catch a lot of players with their pants down. Take, for example, the White Enchantment Saga, Era of Enlightenment. One to white for a common. Three chapters. Chapter one, scry two. Chapter two, you gain two life. And then chapter three, you transform it into Hand of Enlightenment. It's a two-two first striking creature. Yeah, if we're looking at one to white, you get a two-two first striker that gains you two life and scries two. Great. But if we really think about this card and its play context... On turn 4, you get that 2-2 two, two First Striker. Then, on turn 5, you can finally attack with it. That's pretty slow, and for attacking on turn 5 with the 2-2 two, two First Striker, it's pretty below rate as well. But that doesn't mean that these don't have a place in, say, a mid-range or control-based strategy. I think that they're going to provide a lot of fun equity, and if we find a good saga or two that can recur well with, say, ninjutsu, you might have yourself a pretty solid plan. Take, for example, Okiba, Reckoner Raid. It's a single black enchantment saga, chapters 1 and 2. Each opponent loses one life, you gain one life. And then on chapter 3, it's a 2-2 menace that also has vehicles you control have menace. This seems like a really fun card to ninjutsu back to your hand. It's got evasion in menace. It gets unblocked, returns back to your hand, get more drain. What's not to like about it? I think that the sagas, they are flashy. They look cool. But my unlucky lounge rats, when we're first dipping our toes into Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, Let's not forget the value of a Centaur Corsair, the 3-3 three, three for 3. It might be worth more than you think in a format that might have a lot of tempo sinks. This also leads me to a not keyword mechanic, but a theme that I find quite elegant with the inclusion of these enchantment sagas. And that is the attacking alone 
sub-mechanic in red and white. Take, for example, this 3-drop white legendary creature called Norika Yamakazi, the Poet. It's a 3-2 legendary human samurai for 2 and a white. It has Vigilance. And whenever a samurai or warrior you control attacks alone, this card says you may cast target enchantment card from your graveyard this turn. Ah, the prediction that I got wrong is right here on a mechanic that I think is very elegant with the saga creatures and also with reconfigure the equipment mechanic that essentially is a creature and an equipment in the same vein. What a great way that Watsi found, which I'm sure a lot of people thought before, of the struggle of equipment being a mechanic that doesn't impact the board in a format of limited that really rewards you for keeping up that tempo. And now a creature that can stack on top of another creature and get stat bonuses and also key into this attacking alone mechanic. That's really cool. Plus it also works with modified as well. The almost historic-like mechanic or keyword that looks for creatures that are equipped, enchanted, or have plus one plus one counters. I think this little triangle synergy between the enchantment sagas allowing you to play them out after having one of these attacks alone creatures that seem to be keyed into a pretty layover space of where the enchantment sagas are looking to really make a big splash in, which is white and red. It's kind of what I feel right now at the moment. And then also with the modified creatures plus the reconfigure equipment, that is a sweet little synergy. That is so nice to see red-white maintaining its color identity of attacking with creatures and also encouraging you to attack alone and get some really nice value. And you can stack multiple different attacks alone triggers and get a really nice attack with a lot of value. I'm excited to try this out more than most in the vein of color combinations. Don't get me wrong, I want a ninjutsu, but I've ninjutsued before. I'm ready to attack alone. But let's get back to some of the other predictions that I made and one thing I, I'm gonna give myself a nice pat on the back for was the mechanical story identity of past and present being defined by the enchantment and artifact line. I called it friends. Artifacts are technology, enchantments are the past. Oof, it feels good to be right. Mwah, mwah, thank you, friends, thank you. you. You can show your appreciation at patreon.com backslash draft and draft. <laughs> Me being right aside, I think it's really nice to see that artifacts and enchantments are now getting a story-driven mechanical difference. It's just really elegant, and now that you really think about the cyberpunk versus tradition, it just kind of fits together in a nice puzzle piece. Trust me, friends, there is more to talk about when it comes to Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, and there's more cards to ogle over, but it's Friday Night Podcast. That means that we need to do ourselves an end-of-week draft. But before we begin, we've got a tradition to uphold. Grab a drink, grab a snack, maybe even crack a pack. Let's celebrate all the great that you are. This, friends, 
is the untapped step. Ah, the first sip is always the best sip. Well, as our draft is currently queuing up, I've done a number of these already. I'd say I'm on number four or five at the moment, and trust me when I say it's not a brand new format. We know these cards, we've played with them extensively. I mean, Midnight Hunt came out, I believe, in September. So that means it's been almost five months since we've been on Innistrad. And when the two sets combine together, it makes for a dynamic, what I like to call, ham sandwich format. Where your deck isn't the kind of streamlined synergies that you kind of see nowadays. You just kind of got to make do with what you find. And also, you're looking for, between the two sets, the colors that have the most overlap in what they're each trying to accomplish. Take, for example, Black Red has a pretty strong vampire theme. Red Green's got werewolves. Granted, the werewolves in Midnight Hunt actually pollute the field of werewolves that were in Crimson Vow, ironically enough. Doesn't mean the deck isn't still possible. Blue Black, yes, is zombies. The Blue Green Self Mill theme, I haven't had a chance to draft it yet, but I would love to see it come together, especially because you've got disturbed creatures, you've got flashback from the first set, and some relatively strong self-milling things like Vile Spawn Spider in the second. But let's go ahead and go to pick one, pack one in our F&P draft. The rares are Rite of Harmony and Odric Blood Curse, both of which not great. There is three uncommons that are not particularly good as well. Wow. I don't think I've seen a pack this week. No removal, no nothing in this pack, Borok. Yeah, this is going to be a rare time where I'm going to take an Evolving Wilds pick one, pack one. That might be wild, but as I said, this is a ham sandwich format. To me, that means you're going to take the cards you find and just make a deck out of it however you can. And if that means that sometimes you got to go into three colors, that's just old school magic for you. Pick two of pack one. Well, the rares don't get that much better. There's a Galvanic Iteration, the flashback instant spell that copies the next instant or sorcery that you play. Not so great. There's the Distracting Geist, Ritual of Hope, and Skulking Killer. Two of the weakest uncommons in Crimson Vow, alongside a really medium go-wide effect. In black, there's Blood Fountain and Diagraph Horde, both good cards, and a Shadow Beast Sighting as well. This is the sorcery card that makes a 4-4, then can flash back to make another one. So it costs 4 the first time around, and 7 the second time around. I suppose the better pick is Diagraph Horde, the Grave Titan of the format, but I kind of want to try something different. I've already done that a few times here in this draft format, so... Let's just go with the Shadow Beast sighting as we go to pick three of pack one. Wow, three high rarity green cards. There's Infestation Expert, the werewolf that makes one ones on attacking and entering the battlefield. The Sawblade Singer, the 4-3 that can destroy an artifact or fight a zombie creature. But we're going to take the rare, which is Sereth the Viper's Fang. This is two colorless green green for a 3-4. Other untapped creatures have Hexproof, other tap creatures have Death Touch, and then you can do some tapping effects with it. I just think it's kind of a fun card, and I 
definitely am in for fun things. I mean, I could have taken in pick two that Diagraph Horde, and it probably was the better of the picks, but I want to try something green and maybe a little bit self-million. Ooh, pick four, pack one. We have a chance with two solid green uncommons. The first one being Death Bonnet Sprout, the 1-1 one, one for one green that you mill card in your upkeep, and then it transforms after you have three or more creature cards in your graveyard into the 3-3 three, three that can eat creatures from graveyards and then grow bigger. But we're going to take a safer pick in Reclusive Taxidermist, the 1-2 one, for one to green, that taps to add one mana of any color, which is nice with the pick one, pack one Evolving Wilds, Gives us a lot of flexibility in what we can do with our second color. And then eventually becomes a 4-4 if you have a number of creatures in your yard. I like that pickup as we go to pick 5 of pack 1. Oh! The ants come marching 2 by 2. Hurrah, hurrah. Rise of the ants. Four green green sorcery that makes two three three green insect creature tokens you gain a life and then you can flash it back for eight mana that's nice it's fighting against a wolf strike that's in this pack nor the removal or big splashy things in this pack to speak of i think i'm gonna go with the rise of the ants though the equity you get off that card is extraordinary so pretty happy to take that and go to pick six as we see potentially an uncommon signal in Covetous Castaway. This is the 1-3 one, for 1 to blue. When it dies, you mill 3 cards. Then it disturbs for 3 blue-blue into a 3-4 flyer that when it enters the battlefield, you can shuffle 3 cards from your graveyard into your library. I said I wanted to do that kind of fun stuff, but oh! There's also some solid green ramping and fixing here too. Weaver of Blossoms and Dawnheart Rejuvenator. You know, if we were in a sacrifice color, I'd be very into Covetous Castaway. But being so solidly in green, the only way we're going to get sacrifice triggers is with blue exploit cards. Not outside of the realm of possibilities, but let's just take the Weaver of Blossoms, which now gives us Reclusive Taxidermis, Weaver, and Evolving Wilds to potentially splash around quite nicely. As we go to pick seven, well, there's a number of solid blue cards still here. There's Mysterious Tome, a big mana sink. There's also a Lunar Rejection. That's the bounce spell that draws a card, and you can play it for a smaller cost if you're bouncing a wolf or werewolf. I think right now it is the only interaction in this pack, and we're going to take it as it is the only interaction that we right now have in our draft. But we're here in pick eight, and in this pack, not much green to speak of, a Sheltering Bows which is the aura that gives your creature plus one, plus three, and then when it ETBs, you draw a card, but we'll take a Startle. Startle's just fine. It cantrips, it makes a decayed token, and it does interact, hopefully, with some of the big things that we are going to be potentially doing. Pick nine, the Rite of Harmony, that pretty unfortunate rare, is still in this pack. There's a Witch's Web and a Geist Wave, which really appeals to me. Let's take the Bounce Spell. I could see potentially playing at least one of those. Pick 10, Massive Might and Plume, or Plummet, are in this pack. We'll take the Might and go to garbage time here. Hey, we do table a Bounding Wolf. I'm pretty okay taking that. If we do end up with a few more green werewolves also, it's some nice flying protection. So 
We're on the route at the moment to try to go into blue-green big mana stuff. We do have two solid flashback cards. One being a Shadow Beast sighting and the other being the Rise of Ants. And a lot of flexibility as we go into pack two. And we are going to take a look at what we need. I love some removal or interaction or bombs and... Uh, nothing in the rare or uncommon slot for us. There's Curse of Shaken Faith, which is not great. There is Edgar Charmed Groom, but it's a black-white card in a deck we're already kind of establishing as a green-blue deck. There's Defend the Celestis and Geist Light Snare at the uncommon slot for us, but we'll probably end up taking this Eccentric Farmer. It's the 2-3 for Tuna Green. When it enters the battlefield, you mill three cards and then return a land from your graveyard to your hand, we already have the Evolving Wilds. We already have two solid flashback spells. We can end up with a few bits of Disturb as well. Eccentric Farmer does some great work. Still looking for a Wolf Strike, maybe even a Fight Spell or two, but let's take that. And man, I just I would love to see a little bit more power. i love to see a little bit more removal. And maybe a little bit more board stalling. Did you say board stalling? <laughs> this kind of deck is my middle name. <sighs> I guess this is kind of a Mr. Turtle draft, isn't it? As we go to pick two of pack two, and well, we've got some green cards, friends. At the uncommon slot, we've got Death Bonnet Sprout. There's also the Bramble Worm, the 7 6 for 6 in a green. Reach Trample, gain 5 life when it enters the battlefield, then you can exile it from your graveyard to gain 5 life. But there's also Primal Adversary. This is the 4-3 Trample for 2 and a green, the Mythic Rare. And when it enters the battlefield, you may pay 1 to green any number of times, and you put that many plus 1 plus 1 counters on it, and then number of lands become 3-3 three, three green wolf creature tokens. Huh. I think I'm pretty happy taking this. It's a very flexible card, and the only reason I'm taking it truly is the flexibility. You can play it relatively early, and then later on, it can be a way to close out the game. Sweet little pickup. As we go into pick three of pack two, oh, the green darling of Midnight Hunt is in this pack. That's Dawnheart Mentor, the 04 for two and a green, that when it enters the battlefield, you make a 1-1 one, one white human creature token. And then when you have Coven, which means you have three powers on your battlefield or more, different powers, you then can give a creature plus three, plus three, and trample. This can really create a nice board stall. There is a Revenge of the Drowned, the really nice interactive spell, but I don't know. I just think this card's extraordinary. So let's take that and go to pick four and... This pack is a lot less extraordinary. We have two blue-green self-mill recovery cards. One in Turn the Earth and the other is Witness the Future. Those are our uncommons, friends. We also have the Unblinking Observer, which works pretty nice with the Shadow Beast sighting and Rise of the Ants. But I don't know if I want to take that that early. It is a two-drop. That can help us fill out what we have going on a bit here. And there was a Shadow Beast sighting in a pack earlier here in this pack. So maybe we can find it. And 
get that table and yeah, we'll take it. Pick five, pack two. Whoa! All right, removal has come in clear shots. Ha! Huh. That feels good, Borak. I am not throwing away my shot. I am not throwing away my shot. I will not be throwing away my shot. That is right. Clear shot, of course. Two to green, instant. Target creature you control gets plus one, plus one until end of turn, and then it fights. Well, it doesn't fight. It actually deals its power to target creature you don't control. Beautiful, beautiful little piece of removal that our deck would love to have as we take it and go to pick six of pack two. And now things get a little interesting. We have the bread and butter, just the meat, potatoes, the vegetables kind of pick. That's the Silver Bolt, the one colorless artifact. Pay three, sack it, deals three damage to a creature, or destroy a werewolf. But then we also see Brinecomber. That is the 1-1 one, one spirit that disturbs. I really like the card, but you know I've been calling for interaction. I think we just have to take it. Silverbolt's going to go into our stack here, and maybe I'll kick myself. We have really good fixing right now. It is totally defensible. But we'll go to pick seven of pack two. Two cards really stand out to me here. Locked in the Cemetery. The Medium Tap Enchantment Aura that when it is battlefield, if you have five or more cards in your graveyard, you can tap the enchanted creature, and then that enchanted creature does not untap during its untap step, but what we'll take is a Syncopate. It is the X and a blue counterspell from Crimson Vow. Just does some decent work as we go to pick eight, and we see another Silver Bolt. Really makes me feel kind of bad about not taking that Brian Comer. But there is a Fear of Death, another Enchantment Aura that tries to take down your opponent's creatures a peg, but there's also a Persistent Wolf. The 2-2 two, two, or 1 to green gains Death Touch until end of turn. It's kind of board stall card that I'm happy to take here as our table pack finds the Geistlight Snare that is the Mono Leak that costs 3 but gets reduced if you control a spirit uh, and also gets reduced if you control an enchantment. Probably won't end up playing it as, oh, there is a Bird Admirer in this pick 10. You know, I got a feeling because it's this kind of ham sandwich format that I might actually end up playing a card like that in, oh, we called it the Shadow Beast Sighting Tabled. Ding, ding, indeed. I do love when a good plan comes together. Now, granted, don't get me wrong, it's not the best of cards, but it is part of the plan that we're looking to put together. As Garbage Time proceeds here, ooh, little Cradle of Safety, we could maybe blow out our opponent's removal spell with that nicely. So, we got our two Shadow Beast Sightings. At the moment, we've got about 19 playables and a Dawnheart Rejuvenator is going to be our final pick of this pack. I don't mind that at all. We've got some decent fixing in the Taxidermist, in the Evolving Wilds, and now also a Dawnheart Rejuvenator. Any bombs that we might open could be available to us. And we don't open any bombs. There is a Curse of Silence and Creepy Puppeteer as our rares in this double feature pack. Another Bird Admirer, a Harvest Tide Sentry, but I think we're going to do it two times in this draft. In the pack, we're going to pick one an Evolving Wilds, friends. Oh boy. Talk about eating your vegetables. It's nice with the Eccentric Farmer. Again, maybe we can find a cool little off-color rare for us to splash here. As we go to pick two of pack three, 
There is an overcharged amalgam in this pack. This is the 33 Flash Flying Zombie Horror for two blue blue that has exploit if you exploit a creature. You get to counter target spell activated ability or triggered ability. At its root, it can just be a four mana counter spell and a really flexible one at that. Sweet. All right. I will be very happy to take that. There's also Restless Stormseeker, the 2 3 for 2 in a red, the human werewolf that gives a target creature you control plus 1 plus 0 and haste until end of turn. That's pretty good, but I don't know if that's quite good enough to not make me want to take this overcharged amalgam. It's very splashable for us, don't get me wrong. But let's go with some amalgam action here today as we go to pick three, pack three, and we see Runo Stromkirk. As a rare here, it is a blue-black card, so it's in our splash area. It's a wacky card, returns a creature to the top of your graveyard, and then if you have a card that is a mana value of six or greater, which we actually don't have, it gets a transform. Mm, just reading that and thinking that out loud, I'm not that interested. We might just take this Hook Hand Mariner instead. The 4-4 four, four for four, it transforms into a 6-4. Why not? As we go to pick four of pack three, we have a green rare in here, but it's a splendid reclamation. I will splendidly not take it. There is a duel for dominance. That is the fight spell. One of the cards I was kind of maybe hoping to find. It's the coven fight spell that can put a counter on it if you control at least three or more powers. Not too bad. I think we're just going to scoop it up. There is a world where we could take a defenestrate, the black removal spell from Midnight Hunt that destroys target creature without flying for two and a black. But they're pretty comparable especially with what I have going on in the deck right now. Just happy to take a on-color removal spell there. As we go to pick five of pack three, and now it's between two cards. One's a good tempo card in Chill of the Grave. It is the two and a blue instant that taps a creature, doesn't untap, and then you draw a card. It costs one less if you control a zombie, which we have one, the Overcharged Amalgam. But I think I'm going to take this Flourishing Hunter. I want a little bit more top end in this deck anyway. We've got plenty of ways to create resources. Let's find some ways to use them. Pick six of pack three. Well, the Uncommon's Boarded Window. Limited resources, worst card of the set in Crimson Vow. I'm a pass. <laughs> For top end, there is a Dreadlight Monstrosity. We actually picked up one in the sideboard, but I will happily pick up a flip the switch here we do have a syncopate but i'm not opposed to taking another counterspell here especially one that does some really good work pick seven another quote unquote mill payoff in mold graph millipede the two two for five you mill three cards and then it gets a plus one plus one counter for each creature in your graveyard at the moment we have 14 creatures not really into that card I'll take it and actively not play it. Pick eight of pack three, another duel for dominance. We found our route, but I just don't think necessarily we got the kind of cards that would have just made this deck hum. We're talking like Rootvine Creeper or Biospawn Spider. And that's the last fresh pack. So we're going to go to our first table pack here in the final pack. Harvest Tide Century, the three one for one to green. This deck might have a bit of an aggressive edge to it. Eh, now that I say it and look at the deck, I don't think that's right. 
As we go to pick 10, we'll pick up an Alchemist Retrieval here in pack 3. And swiftly move to garbage time. Ooh, a little stitched ass assistant. Eh, probably won't play that. As we clean up this draft here, we're going to do a little cleanup here on the podcast as well. That means it's time for us to take a quick break. But go ahead and refresh those drinks and come back in just a second. My lucky lounge rats as we unfurl this deck in just a moment. Welcome back. Thanks for refreshing, refueling, and returning as we take a relook at this two-color blue-green draft deck we put together for Innistrad Double Feature on Magic Arena. The best thing this deck has going for it is its mono-fixing. Yeah, Barak, I mean it sarcastically. <laughs> We're two colors, and we really have no detrimental mana fixing issues at all with double evolving wilds reclusive taxidermist and a weaver of blossoms but besides that this deck is about as middling as you can make it a number of two drops a number of three drops some decent end game in the flourishing hunter rise of ants and primal adversary plus a nice little rare at four with sarah the viper's fang the Two Shadow Beast Sightings is going to help us out with the long game. And we're even going to end up playing, say, the Geist Wave to hopefully get a little bit of equity in bouncing back a creature and avoiding a removal spell from our opponents. Also, we do have ways to use our mana in the late game. The two flashback spells we already mentioned being the Shadow Beast Sightings and Rise of Ants, primary amongst them. Also, the Adversary. But... I really liked the pickup that we got in the Dawn Heart Mentor. It was such a key piece in the green-white coven base deck and actually had a way of going through the massive card value that blue-black had in that format. As a reminder, Dawn Heart Mentor is the 0-4 for Tuna Green that when it enters the battlefield, you make a 1-1 white human creature token and then you have the coven ability which says you can only activate it if you have three or more creatures with different powers. And for five and a green, target creature you control gets plus three, plus three, and trample until end of turn. Notice it has that instant speed element to it, so the threat of activation in the late game is extraordinary. That being said, some of our final cuts that we had to take out of the deck. The startle, I don't think we quite need... We are not going to play the Cradle of Safety. We are playing the Syncopate and Flip the Switch, which I think is going to do the same protection level of work that the Cradle will do, but has more flexibility in what it could answer. Also, we are playing a Geist Wave and Lunar Rejection as a way of both disrupting our opponent's board and protecting our stronger pieces. The final couple cuts that were difficult, one was the Bounding Wolf. This is the 3-2 Flash Reach creature for 2 and a green. Now, I had to make a choice. I do believe this deck needs a little bit of reach, and I don't mean in the end game. I mean in the ability to protect us from flying creatures. I ended up playing the Bird Admirer, the 1-4 reach that transforms into the 3-5 reach, instead of the Bounding Wolf. Why? Well, to me, our deck is going to be doing a lot of passing with having some of those instant speed interaction spells that we mentioned before, not to say as well, leaving an activation for Silver Bolt up, I think that Burdenmire 
can do a lot of good work clogging the board, and almost always, Bounding Wolf is a one-for-one one trade with whatever creature your opponent is attacking with. If this was a best-of-three format, I would be happy to put these in the main deck. It certainly is a card that, over time, has impressed more of the players, such as myself, doing the good work that a good wolf puppo like Bounding Wolf does, but for now, Bird Admirer is our play. Now, as the draft was progressing, I was begrudging the lack of interaction that we had, but I've already mentioned a few blue pieces, but our green pieces are pretty good too, in a duel for dominance and clear shot. Now, I did pick up a second duel for dominance as well. And this is where I was getting to the end of the playables for my deck, and I really needed to kind of figure out what this deck needed more than anything. At the point, we had 13 creature cards, not including the Shadow Beast Sightings or Rise of Ants, which brings us up to a pretty cool 16, but our deck needs to really win through creatures. So I decided to go with playing a Pestilent Wolf over the second Duel of Dominance. It helps out with that Dawn Heart Mentor, it helps out with getting the board down early, it can potentially help us grow the Reclusive Taxidermist, and with the amount of mana that we're going to be creating off of consistent land drops. Reclusive Taxidermist, Weaver of Blossoms, I think there is a really good reason for us to play this dorky 2-2 two, two for 2. There's nothing wrong with 2-2 two, two for 2s, Borok. Just saying, removal spell over creature is an interesting conversation to have sometimes. But especially when that removal spell is dependent on us having a creature, to me, the choice becomes relatively easy to make. But what kind of easy choices will we have to make, or maybe difficult ones at that, as we drop into our game here on Friday Night Podcast? Our hand is drawn and we are underway. We've got a seven that is keepable as we are on the draw with Geist Wave, Overcharged Amalgam, that persistent wolf, and a clear shot with three lands, two forests, and an island. This feels like a pretty good place for our deck to be starting Ooh, off. I see a pretty cool interaction with that Geist Wave and that Zombie Drake. Ooh, Turtle. Mr. Turtle, you're making some good points there. Bouncing an Overcharged Amalgam for another Counterspell. If the hand can support it, I'm for it. We draw our first card for the game being the third forest that we have. For now, we can't even cast that Overcharged Amalgam. As our opponent goes Island to Island Pass, well, even if they have a Counterspell, this Persistent Wolf will try to get onto the battlefield as it does, and opponent plays a third island. That sure sounds like getting mana screwed in a certain color way, but we are going to pass the turn, keeping up Geist Wave and Clear Shot, a nice little interactive way as they play their planes on their turn four. Their first play being Kindly Ancestor. In fact, I think I might have been onto something there. Assuming that they, in fact, were short on a color, this leaves them with a single blue mana open, allowing us the window to... Oh! Resolve Serith of the Viper's Fang. Wow, wow, that's pretty good stuff there, as now our Persistent Wolf can get in there against our opponent's Kindly Ancestor. Since it is tapped, it has Death Touch from Serith the Viper Fang. 
It allows us to have just that legendary creature open right now. However, if our opponent can't answer the Seraph, the Geist Wave will help protect it well. They pass through after having played a fourth island. Now they keep open five lands. That's a lot of land to keep open here. We drew a Silverbolt, a little bit more interaction, which is nice. But we will attack, because I think we have a lot of space here to give, even if our opponents say had a Fierce Retribution, which in fact they did. We will Geist Wave our Seraph back to our hand, allowing it to be saved and drawing another card. And it is another forest. We are getting one-sided Monoscrewed, just as our opponent is, with us now having two forests in hand, an Overcharge Amalgam, Clear Shot, and Seraph of the Viper Fang. They play a Twin Blade Geist and an Evolving Wild. Okay, I totally, totally see how they are starting to develop a little bit better than we are. They've got three cards in hand, plus a Kindly Ancestor that can be disturbed, and they've got their Twin Blade Geist. That's the 1-1 one, one double strike that can disturb. They also now have three lands open. If they have Syncopate, we can pay for it, and I will take the chance if they have either the other two counterspells, Siphon Essence being the one that in fact they do have, and they get to make a Blood Token to boot. Well, certainly a little awkward, but this turn we did draw a Lunar Rejection, so we do have quite a bit of interaction we can play with against our opponent, as they are now, with six lands, three cards in hand, a Blood Token, and a Twin Blade Geist, getting in with the 1-1 one, one, and putting us down to 18. It's a pretty even life total type of game, as our opponent is now going to be moving to their end step, question mark? No, they play Curse of Surveillance. Boy, talk about a card that just seems to be overperforming in this format of double feature. This is now the second time I've had to engage against a Curse of Surveillance. And, you know, I really can't argue with the results here. We drew another forest. Oh, boy. But our hand is developing well in the interactive space, but we need to get a creature on the battlefield. Quite frankly, if any of these forests that we drew, at least one of them would be an island, the Overcharger Amalgam would be doing some good work for us. But now the Curse of Surveillance that says at the beginning of Enchanted Player's upkeep, any number of target players other than that player, each draws cards equal to the number of curses attached to that player, they get to draw an additional card every turn. I don't know how a deck like ours is going to be able to deal with this extra card draw equity. It's going to be a tricky one, and we need to start by drawing another island if we can. We will probably use this Lunar Rejection on our opponent's turn, or either the Silverbolt on our battlefield. If they can try to stack that Twin Blade Geist, that would be pretty good for us, but they decide to just attack in for two. And I've got no arguments to that. We will go to 16. Our opponent now plays another Kindly Ancestor, which is a pretty decent target, and a th third one. So now they've got two Kindly Ancestors on their battlefield. And they play another Evolving Wilds. Clearly they're showing they have no interaction, but they do have a bunch of creatures. So we're back in the field of can we draw some way to get a creature on the battlefield, which will open up our Clear Shot and Duel for Dominance. So we'll use the Silver Bullet right now on one of the two Kindly Ancestors to start to clear a path and hopefully draw an island or any creature possibly as our opponent gets to draw another card off the Curse of Surveillance, and we do draw a Weaver of Blossoms. 
That's not bad at all. That's going to open up our blue mana, along with give us a route to still cast Clear Shot, Duel for Dominance, or Lunar Rejection. We've got a lot of protection as our opponent is going to swing in with their Kindly Ancestor. We will block with the Weaver of Blossoms. So the question is, they have two cards in hand. They've got two Disturbable Kindly Ancestors. Is this a good route for Clear Shot to clear their board? You know, I feel like I'm a little bit of desperation here and I'm willing to give it a try. So, Clear Shot, ooh! It turned out quite well for us. So, our creature becomes a 3-4, kills their third Kindly Ancestor, and now leaves their graveyard stacked with Disturbable cards. But we do now get to have a transformed Weaver of Blossoms, which keeps open our overcharged amalgam, and we drew a Shadow Beast Sighting. That's exciting. So now we can just play the Shadow Beast Sighting, get ourselves a 4-4, opens up the Duel for Dominance, and we still have an overcharged amalgam to boot with the mana that we can use off of the Blossom-clad Werewolf. Did you know that that is the name of that card on the other side, my Lucky Loungerats? I just learned that now. Our opponent plays Beloved Beggar, the 0-4 that disturbs into a 4-4 Flying Vigilant creature. You know, we'll let this one roll. I don't mind a 4-0-4, especially because we're now starting to wheel out some Shadow Beast Sighting tokens. And our opponent goes to Sigarda's Imprisonment, the 4-4. Fascinating. I think I'm going to let that roll and happen to our token. Because now, that opens up our overcharged amalgam to sack that token and then get some nice equity off of that. That's pretty cute. I like that. Our opponent's going to draw yet again another card in our upkeep off of the Curse of Surveillance. But this game is not completely far out of our reach right now. I'm kind of impressed in some way. Hmm, so we could flash back the Shadow Beast Sighting here, which would leave us with two mana from the Weaver of Blossoms, so we could Duel for Dominance still. We have no good Duel for Dominance triggers. We have a flip the switch that we just drew. I think I'm going to pass the turn here, which is going to transform the Weaver of Blossoms once more. Our entire hand, we can play at instant speed, being Lunar Rejection, Duel for Dominance, flip the switch, and Overcharged Amalgam. Yeah, so I can... Get an easy counterspell with the Overcharged Amalgam. That is not in question. And flip the switch is just looking a little unlikely as they now have their 10th land. So in order for that card to do anything, they need to play two spells in their turn. That seems a bit like a... of a, of a far-fetched figure for that to happen. They just pass through and we go to our turn here. Well, they will continue to draw cards. They have 16 cards in library, so... We got him on an eight-turn clock, Mr. Turtle. Be still, my beating shell. What a delightful way to win. Oh, I hope we do it, Turtle. I meant that sarcastically. Oh. I don't think that's a legitimate win condition. Oh. We drew another island. Don't mind that. That now will allow us to Shadow Beast Sighting and keep three mana open for a Duel for Dominance or Flip the Switch. It's fine, but Flip the Switch I just don't think is going to do anything in this game at this point. Hmm. Well, I think we gotta at least start to put some pressure on the board. So let's go ahead and flash back that Shadow Beast Sighting, now giving us that 3-4 and then another 4-4 that we can start attacking with in our opponent's turn. 
We still have Lunar Rejection, which we could do cutely with the Overcharge Amalgam. Sadly, the value we're going to get off the Overcharge Amalgam will go away, which is part of the line that I'm taking here because they're just going to activate the ability on Sigarda's Imprisonment to exile our token and make a blood token. They certainly are getting their control on here as they sacrifice their blood to draw another card. I mean, clearly they're looking for something, and they might just get it at this rate. And they're going to Revenge of the Drowned, our other 4-4. But we do have a Flip the Switch. Wow, Flip the Switch did something, friends. And now we also have a 2-power creature, which gives us the 3 different powers we need when our Weaver of Blossoms transforms back during our opponent's turn, theoretically. And we will get a counter off the Duel for Dominance. Our opponent starts their turn by playing Lantern Bearer. Reminder, they still have 4 Disturbed Creatures in their graveyard. Three Kindly Ancestors, now two, as they enchant their Lantern Bearer, and they also have a Twin Blade Geast. They decide to enchant the Lantern Bearer they just played with two of their auras, which includes the Lifelink and the Double Strike auras. They're going to draw an additional card. They've got four mana open, and we draw an Evolving Wilds. Well, at least the Overcharge Amalgam is live again. Now the Disturb Token. That's pretty cool. We'll definitely play out the Evolving Wilds. I know this much is true. We have 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 mana with the Weaver of Blossoms, which keeps us open to cast our entire hand, being Lunar Rejection, Duel for Dominance, and Overcharge Amalgam. A total of 10, even with the Lunar Rejection being cleaved. I can attack with the 4-4 now, which then leaves them open for their beloved beggar to get into the graveyard and transform. But I've got answers for that now. I'm okay with this. We're going to have to go the long route to start to make our own creatures relevant. Ooh, they decide to not block. Now that's an interesting little choice that they made. It leads me to believe that maybe they have something like a good disturb, or sorry, exploit card that they could be using here. But I'll pass through, leaving us now with our 10 mana and 3 interactive spells. They've got 4 cards in hand. This Curse of Surveillance has done the work of goodness for them. As they are now going to start to attack with their 1-1. One, one. I think now is as good a time as any to duel for dominance. And see what we can do. We'll put the counter on our 4-4 four, four token. And see if our 5-5 five, five finding their 1-1 one, one will work the way we want it to. We still have Overcharge Amalgam and Lunar Rejection as a reminder to back up this, I'm sure, to be responsive heavy interaction. They still have those four cards in hand swinging for two double striking lifelink in the air as they are looking through their graveyard for something. What it is, I'm not sure. They certainly do still have the two disturbable cards. Ooh, a devious cover-up. That's what they were looking for. Well. Let's see if this Overcharge Amalgam will do the work that I want it to, unless they have a second Counterspell, which would in fact be quite good, but in the end, I'm still going to have my 4-4, and the only thing that's happening is their 1-1 will not die. But I'm willing to save us a bit as they go to Syncopate for 5. Oh no, that is exactly one short of what we have available in Mana. What a shame. I think the worst thing is that they get to shuffle back into their deck a Fierce Retribution, Siphon Essence, Cigar's Imprisonment, and Revenge of the Drowned. That's actually the worst part of this whole interaction. Well, yeah, I can't argue with much of any of this here. 
But we do now have mana open to Lunar Rejection and remove some of those auras that they got from disturbing their Lantern Bearer. We won't take two, which is not the most important part. We'll draw a card, which is now another island, as they continue to curse the surveillance and also take us away from that deck out wincon that Mr. Turtle is so fond of. My dreams have been dashed, and we're flooding out too. Mm, turtle. Yeah, you're right. I am not fond of drawing another land, though, as now we have made it to our 11th land of the game. Our opponents, well, they must be feeling pretty good at this point. They decide to not block with the beloved beggar. Take another four. They're at 14. We're at 16. And we are flush with way too much mana. And after our opponent resolved a devious cover-up, things are not looking too great. And they play a sludge monster to boot. That is going to start to do some way too good work against us. As they do that into Teferi, who slows the sunset. Wow. Well, when they roll out two pretty strong cards in this particular situation in a row, that's how you know. That's how you know. They follow up by finally praying the Lantern Bearer. And man, this Curse of Surveillance has done way too much good work for them. You know... I just don't think we're going to be able to outrace this. We drew our 12th land of the game. And unfortunately, this is going to spell the end for your home team here, as we're going to pick up a loss here in the Unlucky Lounge. That certainly was quite the grindy game, and to me it all came down to that early game Curse of Surveillance. Both of our decks we're geared towards the late game, but ours was strictly way more mid-range. And unfortunately, in control versus mid-range, typically the control side has the favor. Also helps, they had some strong rares. We had some too, but in the end, their defensive plays lined up just a little bit better than the kind of offense that we could generate. But it wasn't just about that draft that we did this episode. No, we talked Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, so I want to know from you, how excited are you for this return to a classic Magic Plane? Tell me, what cards are you most hyped to play? What themes do you think are really going to resonate throughout that Kamigawa release day? Find me on socials to tell me more about your thoughts. That is on Twitch, Twitter, and TikTok. That's Draft and Draft Corey. And find us on Twitch. We will play out the rest of this double feature deck, most likely on this Friday. So find us, join us for a little bit of drafting fun. Of course, you can find my Instagram, Corey Demone Enriquez. And if the show is bringing you some joy, help us out on Patreon. Patreon.com backslash draft and draft. Thank you to all of my current patrons, and thank you to all of you listening week after week. I couldn't make this show without you. Well, friends, it looks like I've found the bottom of my drink, and so we've reached the end of another episode. My name is Corey, joined alongside Borak. And don't forget about me. I did a lot this episode, too. Turtle. And Mr. Turtle, too. And this has been Draft and Draft, Friday Night Podcast Edition. Now go, make some magical memories of your own, and happy Kamigawa Neon Dynasty spoiler season.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.